When it comes to investing, UAE residents generally have two options. Use the services of a financial advisor or go it alone and invest on their own. However, in recent years, we have seen the emergence of a new wave of low-cost digital investment platforms that gauge an investor's risk tolerance and assigns them a tailored investment portfolio of exchange-traded funds. Known as robo-advisors, these fintech platforms generally charge lower fees than traditional financial advisors and wealth managers and aim to make it easier for investors to get their money to work for them. One of the first players to enter the UAE market was Sawa, which was founded in 2017 and received a full operating license in November 2018, following a phase in the Dubai International Financial Center's FinTech Hive Accelerator program. Other entrants include Wahed, a robo-advisory offering Sharia-compliant investments to Muslim investors, which was set up in New York in 2015 and now has an arm in Dubai. So how do robo-advisors work? How do they keep their fees low? And what type of investors are they best suited for? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Alice Hayne, the Personal Finance Editor of The National. And joining me today is Mark Chawain, the Chief Executive of Sawa, who will talk us through the process. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Alice. Thanks for covering uh, the new wealth industry and for inviting Sawa. Now, I've heard that Sawa has had a 400% increase in new signups during the pandemic when you compare it to the same period the previous year. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the pandemic surprised a lot of people that were expecting people to, to stay in cash or to, or to sell off. But young professionals and UAE residents proved people otherwise. We saw a lot of increase in both redeposit and new acquisition. You know, redeposits were were people that were are reading your content and are understanding that the best thing to do during these volatile times is either to stick to your plan or if you have extra liquidity to take advantage of lower prices. And I think there's another phenomenon where a lot of people had investing on their bucket list, some of them for way too long. And there was just so much buzz about investing that it, they finally ticked it off. Absolutely. I do know of a number of people that started their investment strategy during the pandemic. And I think part of that comes down to time. They had the time to do it because I always say investing is a great thing, but you actually do need to focus and take a little bit of time to educate yourself about it and put that effort in to get yourself onto the investment path that you want to go down. So if we focus on robo-advisors and let's kind of get back to the basics of it, can you tell me where or how robo-advisors came about and where the concept first took off? Yeah, of course. There's a, the word robo-advisors, some people believe that there's a lot of you know, machines running in the background or algorithms sort of trying to, to make investment decisions. But hopefully today we'll, we'll clear a lot of these uh, misconceptions. The way it started, it was simply taking the traditional wealth management industry and revolutionizing it. And that happened in the U.S. in the early 2010s by firms such as Wealthfront and Betterment. And they started, you know, lowering their prices, using technology to, uh, to make investing more accessible, more fair. And the way it spread out, you know, we realized that in the UAE, it was still in 2017, and there was no sign of, of fintech. So this is where, you know, we teamed up uh, and realized that it's, the U.S. players still haven't expanded outside of the U.S. because there's just so much demand for the, uh, for robo advisory, so it started taking. It started in the U.S., started taking off in the U.K., and each 
sector, each region started to have its first mover, its leading robo-advisor that is revolutionizing the industry to make it uh, cheaper, better, more transparent, and ultimately give cons consumers better returns and hopefully getting them to start investing in their 20s and 30s um, as opposed to their 40s and 50s. So how does the process actually work? So I understand investors use an online sign-up process and that gauges their tolerance to risk. And that information sort of that is fed in is includes things like their age, their income, savings, goals, and investment strategies. And that all goes into an algorithm. So how does that investment portfolio then get assigned from that process? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is what you just described is, is spot on. And it's a process that's been very popular way before robo-advisory. Like before you, if you walk into a branch and uh, you meet with a financial advisor, they'll ask you these questions, they'll input a lot of this data into their computer, and a few days later, they'll get back to you with a recommendation. And you know, you'll sign a few papers and you're invested in a few weeks. We just took that, we took that process and made it instant so that you have an algorithm that is scoring your answers as you, uh, as you self-assess yourself in terms of the risk, uh, in terms of your horizon, et cetera. And one, my favorite part about the algorithm is the emotional piece where we try to see what sort of risk you're comfortable with because you might be young, you might be uh, a bit experienced, but if we sense that you cannot take on a lot of volatility of your, or, or if you, 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 you tell us that you might sell even a bit in case volatility uh, is experienced, then we'll put you in something more conservative. So it's not just the, the demographic of the person, it's also their behavior. And all of that gets put into a personalized portfolio of index funds or exchange-traded funds that is personalized to this investor. And um, it's as simple as that. After that, they get that, that they can open an account using a selfie and they some clients get invested as fast as the same day. Using a selfie? You literally take a picture of yourself and that's it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we moved to the UAE and started Sarwa, the, the process involved certifying your 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 passport or your proof of address, and that was sort of the common standard. And we we you know we teamed up with the with the regulators to to revolutionize this process and make it into a selfie that you know we validate against your passport and we make sure it's really you. So it's one of the security measures that uh, we've implemented to allow an easy process without compromising on security. Now, your robo-advisory focuses on exchange-traded funds. I mean, what do others around the world do? Is that a similar model that they all follow, or are there other strategies that robo-advisors follow as well? Yeah, I would say most of the successful ones have uh, a passive strategy. It's, you know, there's just so much data around how wealth managers and active investing underperforms passive investing over and over and over again in you know, there's this very popular chart that shows in the last 10 years how $2 trillion has been added and more than $2 trillion has been added into passive funds and active funds uh, losing that $2 trillion. So there's a huge focus from the market, from the industry around uh, low fees, not trying to beat the market and just following the data around decades of investing. We have seen other robos that will try to to say, you know, we have a secret sauce and you know, we give access to some uh, smart beta or some, some, some strategies that could generate alpha. But whether you're a robo-advisor or, or a traditional wealth manager, the active strategy simply does not work. 
And so how does the robo-advisor actually keep fees low? I mean, if you choose the DIY investment route you, and you invest into exchange-traded funds, you know, your fees are very, very low. Uh, and your fees are comparable to that, but slightly higher. But you're still beating the sort of traditional financial advisory services. So how are you d- keeping those fees so low? Is that because you've got less sort of boots on the floor, so to speak, people going out there and speaking to clients? I mean, how are you keeping the fees down? Yeah, I would, I would say there are two main uh, levers. The first one are, is our, our cost savings. So we'll talk about cost savings in a minute. But the main point is that the industry wasn't designed to be fair. People were getting away with, and are still getting away, unfortunately, with, with high fees just because the consumer wasn't educated on what is a high fee. So um, especially in the UAE, you have a lot of saving plans. When you really look into the fine print, you'll see as high as 5 6%. And it's, it's really disgusting because people are, are putting in their life savings and sometimes ending up with a negative outcome or having to pay exit fees. Um, so a lot of people are surprised by, by, by the fees when they really understand it. So the first, the first statement that you know, we took as a, as a company is to, be, uh, to completely change the, the, way, the way trust and transparency and uh, how we deal with clients. So the first one is just not putting all these commissions in our pocket. <laughs> it's as simple as that and, and giving back as much as possible to the client while running a profitable business. So that's really the main thing. And there's many great movies such as, you know, The Big Short and, and there's a lot of coverage around the 2008 financial crisis that left consumers scarred by how these banks were, were just taking advantage and coming up with complicated financial products. So that's sort of the first part is let's be let's change that let's be transparent let's be fair and let's run a profitable business at a low cost. The second part is around all the cost savings. So, you know, when you have a digital process, you don't have any paper, you don't have any branches in real estate and you don't have as many salaries to pay. So, and especially in the salaries part, we don't make any commission out of of what we recommend as a wealth advisor. We don't have any commission structures. We don't have any complicated salaries and big salaries and bonuses. So by mitigating paper, real estate, and salaries, we're able to save a lot on fees and uh, give, give these cost savings to our clients. So in turn, when the investor's looking at their portfolio uh, that they have with a robo-advisor, how do they know that it's doing well? How can they sort of get a measure of how it's doing? Yeah, that's pretty straightforward because all the... All the investments we make are extremely liquid. They're in Vanguard and BlackRock funds. So you can, you can log on and see how you're performing. You can compare that to, we have historical performance on our, on our, um, on our website. And we update it also monthly to show our investors how they're comparing towards, uh, compared to active fund managers. Now, a common misconception is measuring a wealth manager against for example, or a strategy against the S&P 500, which, you know, we love the S&P 500, but we don't, we always advise not to put all your money into, into that index because you have to diversify across geographies as well. The U.S. has performed exceptionally well in the last few decades, but it doesn't mean that forward-looking, there aren't as many opportunities more in the East. So hopefully that answers your question. You know, we benchmark based on wealth managers and we love doing that because, uh, obviously, we outperform based mainly on fees and even the strategies. So, so it's very easy to, to see how you compare to, to the rest. And we also do 
you know, we do free portfolio reviews where you can send us your portfolio and we'll tell you, unfortunately, a lot of the time it's saving plans. So I end up, you know, raising the alarms and telling people you need to get out of that um, ASAP. So that kind of comes down to trust, really, doesn't it? Because why should someone trust an algorithm over, let's say, a financial advisor that's offering them advice that perhaps has put them into a poor performing plan, or perhaps you know they invest into mutual funds and they've got an active manager who's controlling where their money goes? You know, why should they trust your algorithm or a robo advisory's algorithm over the sort of conventional ways of investing that have existed for so long? Yes, love that question because. Let's first demystify what the algorithm is actually doing. You know, what, what we do is we take, we basically, the best way to invest, let's take a step back. The best way to invest is to set up a few principles such as starting early, investing often, diversifying, and staying the course. And then once we establish what these principles are, what, are, what, are, what is the right allocation, to be a great investor is it's to just stick to that plan. This is as opposed to trying to uh, to play, play around with that portfolio. And I love Andrew Hallam that you interviewed. Who I love his analogy around treat your investment like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the more it's going to go down. So what algorithms are really good at is behaving in a certain way that us humans have designed these algorithms to behave. So it's a lot of it's automating decision making and automating. Uh, ways of doing so that you do them faster, cheaper, and in a consistent way and removing the human bias because what we've seen, the reason active managers under, underperform passive isn't just because of the fees, because they are, they are also human and they're also subject to the same fears that sometimes the retail investors have. So, and, and there's this, this factor of this time it's different when there's a, when there's, there's a, there's a lot of volatility, right? The great thing about the algorithm is when things are going down and, and, and assets are underpriced, they'll actually buy more of that, of that asset class as opposed to sell based on fear. So this is where you know, algorithms are just doing what you tell them to do and in a way that removes emotions and automates it so that instead of hiring hundreds of people to do that, the algorithm is doing it automatically. So things such as trading, account opening, uh, portfolio rebalancing, dividend reinvesting, is extremely manual when you're managing a big book of business at a bank. But at a robo-advisor, it's a once-and-done exercise and you just make sure and you audit the algorithms to make sure they're behaving as they should. So, so that's sort of on the algorithm piece and hopefully we clarify this part about algorithms and robo-advisors because you know, the main, main purpose of the algorithm is just to put you in the right portfolio and then to stick to that, rebalance it and make sure we we, we, we stick to the plan. And the financial advisor, unfortunately, especially in the UAE, you feel like you're trusting that person, et cetera. But ultimately, you need to, there are a few set of questions, and I'm sure, Alice, you, you have some content around what kind of questions you should be asking your advisor. But a lot of the time, you want to make sure, how is this person getting paid? Which fund are they actually recommending? Are they getting a commission out of this fund? Why do they believe that? What, what's their view on passive investing? Why do they believe that they can beat the market? What's the track record to, to prove that? So, we've, so as humans, we might seem, you know, we're very good at conveying trust and we love wealth managers ourselves. We have our own advisory team to educate, to inspire trust. But um, my advice on that is look into the details and ask the right questions to know if 
this advisor in front of you has a fiduciary duty to act in your best interest or in theirs. So how could things go wrong if you chose to invest in a robo-advisor? You know, where could it potentially not work out? That's a difficult one for you to answer. No, I, I know the flaws of our business model, to be honest, because there's one major one. Um, and, you know, we've seen, two, it's not an apple-to-apple comparison, but, you know, we, we saw the sad news of, uh, of a Robinhood customer that, uh, you know, committed suicide after, after a, a 700 thousand dollar loss or something like that that was in the u.s so i have a problem with <laughs> with trading because of these uh these stories because you're you're sort of giving access to to people to invest and some of them don't know how to invest and while it's not a you, while you can learn along the way and hopefully that doesn't scare people from investing and understand the difference between investing and speculating every anytime you give access to to something that can generate a lot of wealth you need to understand the basic things for it to uh for, for it to work and in, in when you're talking about passive investing and diversified portfolio it's actually really simple however as a sarwa client you can re, you can withdraw your money at any point in time and we were t- discussing trust and integrity and transparency earlier on that also Im- implies telling people that this is your money and you have access to it whenever you want the, the 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 disadvantage of that is a lot of the time when someone wants to exit uh, their investment it's um, sometimes it could be due to emergency but sometimes the media unlike the national will spread fear and and people will want to sell out and with us they could they could do that super easily and we want them to be able to have access to their money so to answer your question the, the danger of the robo advisory model is almost in its strength, where we give a lot of accessibility, a lot of um, uh, a lot of transparency, and we don't. We're not empowered to tell what will what will advise, and we'll talk to these clients that want to withdraw. Ultimately, it's their decision, and it might not be the right one. Versus in a saving plan, as much as we hate them, <laughs> these clients are are locked in, and if they want to exit, they're going to have to uh, lose a huge portion of their savings. So. I'm not saying I like that model. I I I don't think it's uh, it's the right way to go. However, this is this on a positive note. This is where uh, you, Alice, you're doing a huge impact on educate educating people on investing, and I think we will win by educating people on the right behaviors along the way. And how does your model work exactly? How would an event, if they're coming to you, they said, right, I want to invest with you. How does the process work? Yeah. So in terms of the the investment process, we covered the first part of it. So, you know, you get a portfolio recommendation, you open up your account. Um, the minimum is $500. You don't need to continue investing, but we highly recommend, you know, setting a certain portion of your salary to invest, invest as often and early as possible. And that's it. It's basically from the, from then on, you have clients that never log in and some of them that log in a few times a week. Regardless of that, we're working in the background to make sure that you're, uh, you're properly rebalanced, that your dividends are reinvested. And we do all the work that uh, retail investors uh, did on their own. But, but it's, to run a good portfolio, it's, it's, very, it's very tedious. It's very boring as well. <laughs> if you're having fun investing, you're, you know, you're, you're, most likely you're doing it wrong. So we took a lot of that uh, that work that was time consuming and we've automated it and in exchange for that we you know we charge a small fee of 0.85% down to 0.5%. So that's our only revenue stream 
And as a cost to the client, uh, the only other thing they pay on top of that is the fund fee. That's about 0.1%. So we, were, we felt really strong about keeping our fees below 1% um, to allow people to invest at a low cost. And the fees go down the more money you have invested. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Exactly. As the portfolio grows, uh, you can expect to pay less in fees as you know, we take advantage of economies of scale and we want to reward great behavior. So there's nothing like that's more rewarding than seeing someone start uh, in one plan and sort of make their way into that, that premium plan because they build their money through, uh, through, through great habits. And how is your offering different to other concepts that exist regionally and, and even elsewhere in the world? The, the main difference is that who are we building Sarwa for? And we're building Sarwa for expats and, and Emiratis and other you know, nationals in the GCC. So, so the focus on, on that customer segment before that, you know, when, we, when, I, when I was visiting the UAE, I was trying to recommend some of the uh, US players. And every time we were faced with, uh, you, you know, you can't, you can't sign up to our service. You're not a US tax resident. And there are, there's, there are a lot of things that you need to navigate as a, as a UAE investor. And you hear things like, you know, you wonder how tax, uh, taxes work. You wonder which funds uh, you should take, where they should be domiciled. There's, there's a lot of intricacies that, that you have to figure out yourself. So the first part is just making sure that the, the service and the product that we build is tailored to people here. And, and that's one of the things that they love the most is that they don't feel like they're going after a US or UK or, or some sort of brokerage or advisor that um, that happens to serve them. We're building a service for these people. So it's a lot of personalization and, and we're building it hand in hand. We take a lot of their feedback. You know, we released, for example, a retirement calculator last week. So the first part is, you know, we're really customizing it to what people want. The, the second part is just adapting it as well and adding the human layer. You know, we don't believe in a pure robo-advisory model. We believe that humans have a huge role to play in the industry to educate, to, to calm people down, to be their, their point of contact throughout the process. And finally, it's been two years that we're building these features. So how we're different than others is that we have a huge edge on uh, what this market needs. And a lot of the features that we're building are, aren't just about investing. It's about financial planning and, and just making investing easier and easier. And how do you actually access the ETFs? Because you've partnered up with a with brokerage for the kind of investment journey. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Exactly. So we, the same way we said, you know, we're after, we're building a global platform for, for expats and people in the, in the GCC. We partner with uh, brokerage firms that are also after and have that same infrastructure. So we're currently working, for example, with Interactive Brokers. We're talking to Saxo Bank. And, uh, you know, we're really after brokerages that, have served expats and just using all that great infrastructure to turn it from brokerage to advisory. Now, since you've launched, there's been quite a bit of capital invested into the company. Can you tell me how much you've had invested so far? Yeah, we've had about uh, more than $10 million invested so far. I mean, the markets have been pretty volatile over the past few months. You know, we we saw the markets kind of crash in uh, February and then it's it's been all over the place since then. How do you calm investor nerves at times like these? Because you probably got contacted by quite a lot of people who just said, I want to pull the whole lot out. How did you keep them? How did you keep them steady? Yeah, I think it's, it's sort of, uh, it's one of those things where you have to prepare ahead of that by quite a lot. So 
you know, when we launched in 2017, even before the product was live, we were talking about volatility and how to behave in, in times of uh, uncertainty and when things go down, right? So a lot, of, a lot of the great behavior that we've seen is due to, you know, focusing on that scenario for more than two years. So it didn't come as too much of a surprise when, when it happened. It was, you know, we never know when it's going to happen. It's impossible to predict. But people knew that, you know, we were, we were going on 10 years without a, without a crash. So I think there's a, there, there was a lot of smart behavior from uh, the amount of education out there. And the second one is just really picking up the phone, being extremely data-driven. We've been hosting webinars with, you know, more than 400 people that are joining them and, and just answering one question at a time. Uh, on these webinars, so so that's one thing that you know we th that was really good during the pandemic is as you said we were all at home, so before we used to throw you know weekly events with around 40, 50 people at our office. Now we had hundreds of people joining our webinars to uh, just to just to learn. It was not a sales pitch. It was just about staying the course. Here's the data to back it, and um, personalizing it a bit further depending on you know if you have a job, if you if you're a risk. Of losing your job and, and things like that so we just offering free educational advice was was the way to go and that's what we learned and we're going to keep doing have you ever invested with a robo advisor send us your stories and questions to pf at the national.ae and remember that pf stands for personal finance so which brings us perfectly on to HG from Abu Dhabi, he's one of our listeners, and he says, I recently exited a contractual savings plan from an insurer that came with high fees and did not offer great returns. It was expensive to exit, and as I had to pay the full fees for the entire 25-year plan, I am now trying to decide between using a fee-based advisor to choose some ETFs for me, doing it all myself, or turning to a robo-advisor. What do you suggest? Now, obviously, you are a robo-advisor, Mark, so I realize that you're going to have a bias there. But for someone who's, who's been scarred, and, and unfortunately, over the years, you know, I've had a lot of letters from a lot of people who've, who've bought into a product that really doesn't serve their purposes. So for someone who's trying to get on top of their investment strategy now, as AG is, you know, what, what would you advise at this stage? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's a, unfortunately, it's a very common scenario. But what I first want to say is congratulations on, on, on doing that. I know it's a very hard move. And we've had, you know, many clients that have, have had to pull out, take the hit. But every single time that we've run the analysis on comparing, should you take the hit now versus later, because of compound interest, because of the time value of money, it is going to pay off for you to, to, to get out of that plan and take all these fees out of your, your investing and put them in your pocket. So, so first, first part for anyone listening to this, that is in that situation, I can, I want to advise to, 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 to act that way. And that's the best thing to do. Now, when it comes to uh, doing it yourself versus getting an advisor uh, to have you do it, you have to ask yourself a few questions. And the first one is, you know, are you, do you, do you trust your emotions and are you, do you believe that you can stay the course when, when things get uncertain, when things get volatile? Because uh, a lot of the time, you know, people, individual investors suffer from performance because of their behavior. So the first question to ask yourself is, how do you feel about volatility? Do you feel like you're the type of person that's going to, uh, to sell or stop uh, contributing regularly? 
or do you want an advisor to to hold you accountable to automate your investing and do it all for you the the second thing is around your time i think a lot of people procrastinate when it comes to investing and it's not that they didn't have they had the wrong intent but you know we're extremely busy and sometimes you don't we start way later than than what we should have we don't continue to to deposit and we don't have anyone telling us if we're on track or not so think of how much time you you have and you want to allocate into your investing and finally i would say when it comes to your allocation you know your allocation is something that shouldn't change too frequently but in these times there is there there should be a proper um, analysis when it comes to which level of risk uh, works for you and how, what type of risk uh, how should that evolve as you grow older as your job situation changes so make sure that and there's a lot of free tools out there that tell you based on what you've told us what kind of risk and what kind of portfolio you should have but this is one of the benefits of having a robo advisor where we take care of that uh, for you we don't try to be everything for everyone you know for someone that's very passionate about investing they love uh, they love investing they love to spend the time they trust their emotions and they're they're not lazy about things like budgeting etc then doing it on your own might be the best fit and it's the cheaper the cheapest option however if if any of the other question is it maybe when it comes to the time the volatility and the allocation then i think you should consider uh, a robo advisor and i would advise you to just ask the right questions around fees around commissions around the investment strategy um and i understand you might be hurt from your current plan but um it's it's not an excuse to to continue investing but if you talk about not just your model but globally as as we move forward and i think everyone's getting much more used to that digital feel now i think the pandemic has really boosted that switch to doing everything online how can robo advisors improve what they're offering to really sort of take it to the next level going forward to take it to the next level i think we just need to continue really making it a lot easier not just to invest but to get a an overall picture of your of your money you know investing is a great way and and, and our mission is to help people achieve freedom financial freedom and and invest earlier or sorry retire earlier or achieve their goals faster but we need to start looking at it besides just the portfolio that they have with Sarwa we need to start looking at it across um across credit across uh, your checking out your checking out saving account maybe your uh, your your uh, your real estate investment or your property so this is one thing that you know we're we're equipping ourselves and we're working on at the moment to have more holistic advice and and not just be not just have a portion of someone's wealth but you know the majority of their wealth consolidated in a way that is very simple intuitive to look at because it's money is complicated and i think that's why we we have to educate so much around it and we use the 50 30 20 rule there's just so many principles and rules to follow that it can get a bit overwhelming so the same way we simplified investing we have to go after the full uh, money picture And just to explain to the listeners what the 50-30-20 rule is, it's something I've talked about in the past, but just tell them again what they should be doing with that rule. Yeah, it's a framework where you know you, you understand that you'll be spending 50% of your wealth. There's that 30% that is um, that is more discretionary, and these are instead of your needs, these are your wants, and that 20% that absolutely should go towards your your, your saving and your investing. 
So it's just a simple framework so that you take out a calculator or you see based on how much you make monthly, what you should budget for, for what. And there are many great, you know, there's a lot of budgeting tools out there, but a lot of them have failed to make it super simple. So what I always like to start with personally is, you know, I take my paycheck, I take that 20%, save and invest it. The other 30%, I think, has changed during the, the pandemic because a lot of our wants, you know, we started that 20% sometimes became a full 50% because we're doing a lot less, we're less busy. And it, it just allowed, it gave us more room to, um, to, to save and invest more than usual. But in general, this is sort of what economists and, and uh, the general guideline to follow. Hopefully that explains it well, Alice, if you want to add anything. Yes, it does. And I, as I always say, once you start saving and investing, it kind of gets as addictive as spending. And I think it becomes more so. And over time, you get to build a, a big portfolio of, of savings and investments. But thank you very much for your time today, Mark. It's, it's been very interesting. Thank you, Alice. It was really nice to talk about all this with you. Thank you this week to Mark Shawain. If you have a question you would like to ask us, send it to pf at the national.ae. And remember, that's pf for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates. And also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison. I've been your host, Alice Haynes.